to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome to today's Tenuous Links golf podcast. The home of golf barons, and as per usual with me, we've got the world's tallest short hitter in Philbert. Philby, great to see you again. What shed do we find you in this week? Shooter, we've had some, we've had some audio issues. So. <laughs> the proof is uh, that you can pod from pretty much anywhere, Philly. I'll, uh, I'll let you decide where I am this week. That's right. You are anywhere you want to be, Shooter. It is good to be here, and I'm full of both joy and venom and rage. So let's. Crack in. Are you full of beans? I'm not sure what I'm full of. I'll tell you what I'm full of. I'm full of an element of joy for team events. Ah, very good. Well, before speaking of team events, Phil, before we do, I did want to just preface this podcast with the knowledge that Golf Baron Season 2 is in fact flying, Philly, currently on Fox Sports 503 and KO, and it's fair to say the masses have been enjoying just a little bit of, of golf-related hijinks. Perhaps the perfect combination of highbrow and hijinks, Philly. The masses at mass. Are we going really niche, are we? We are a little bit. There we go. I got that off my chest. I love kicking off with just shameless, shameless self-promotion. Is almost ties into what happened at the Zurich Classic, but we'll get onto that in a little bit. Anyway, Zurich Classic team events. Damo, tick or cross for team events? Massive tick. I think we t- seem to talk about this every time there's a team event about why are there not more of them? We all seem – we when you speak to um, any sort of golfer, they anecdotally anyway, it seems to be almost unanimous that we love them, yet we don't seem to have a whole lot of them. Is it is it the novelty of the change of format that we love, or are you about to tell me that you hate them? No, I think deep down we love camaraderie. And I remember growing up, whereby, you know, every guest day was always a four ball, but there were always lots of four balls whereby Mm. you would play with a partner as opposed to it purely being a side bet. So it was actually something that you uh, gave you a sense of team and us. Now, they were never foursomes. They were always always four ball. I've never played foursomes in my life. And having watched Zurich Classic and watched what went on and how some players capitulated under the foursomes format and others shone, how some of our favourites managed to hit block cuts into the water in the playoff uh, and others. Poor Louis. Sean, I wish wish there was an opportunity or a greater opportunity to play either either foursomes or four-ball. Not that there's many people who'd want to play with a short-hitting, wayward-driving giraffe of a bad (laughs) bloke. But, Philly, you can putt. So that's the key. You've all got to bring. That's the thing about team sport. And I think that's why we love it. For those of us who have played team sport, individual sport almost doesn't make sense a lot of the time. So when you do finally get out there and, and you see golf played as a team sport, it really, it, it really, it's a bit of a throwback to the, the, that, that camaraderie you're talking about that we love so much within sport. My concern about the putting element, and thank you for the compliment, is that in a foursomes, you only get to hit every second putt. And were we to be playing together, Shooter, uh, it may be nigh on a champ, was it champ for now-esque disaster, where I'm glad you can both hit at 340, but you, you're not too much faith in each other. But I do I do love that, and I do love it about the President's Cup. But was it just me, or was the course looking a little bit scratchy on TV? It was, but I think we're probably a little bit different here. I don't, I don't have a problem looking at courses not in their perfect pristine conditions on camera, because- 
some of the the best courses in the world, as we touched on in the pre- in previous podcasts, cannot scrub up that well on TV yet be playing immaculately. Some of the tees looked like they were footy grounds, to be completely honest. And the greens, the greens on close ups, they they looked pure. But you know, when you held it back, so now I for, I forgave Augusta for looking patchy because it's meant to look patchy. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, a Bermuda or Cooch, whether it was dwarf or one of the dwarfs, no, that's not an anti-woke thing. It's a blade of grass that was a dwarf Bermuda that is on the greens there. It just it just looked patchier than I Okay, Phil, but preferred. did it did it take away from the experience? I mean the Zurich Classic has become it's become a bit of a much watch PGA Tour event since it sort of reinvigorated itself in back in when was it twenty seventeen I think it was switching to the team's format. Did it re- detract from the event for you? No, it, no. Well, one hundred percent, it didn't detract. What actually had more chance of detracting was some of the weird combinations of partnerships and <laughs> and the the both trusting and lack of trust and how come we're together and why have we hooked up. But it's great that uh, an event like that exists. So yeah, all all credit. The Scheffler um, Bubba Watson combination was an interesting one. <laughs> there must. So there must be something, and that's why it would be great to understand the background for the selections, not mm-hmm. just the selections themselves, and to, and to mock the selections, but to understand, did they just both put their keys in a hat? Did they- Yeah, how, how, much, how much is tactical, picking their, their partner, and how much of it is, is personal and sort of popularity? Well, and I think it'd be great to actually have some background, but some honest background as opposed yeah. to- Because it'd be great for Bubba Watson to just say- Stifler's mum was available. <laughs> like no one else wanted yeah. to play with me. You've been waiting that long for that, haven't you? I've been calling him Stifler's mum for some time. But there must be – I'd like to just have a little bit more background because if the event – because it is well and truly here to stay and I love the change-up of format. Although listening to the official try and explain how the playoff was going to work mm-hmm. did get me a little bit lost is because not only – they were going to alternate each playoff hole foursomes four ball. And you could actually see them going, look, can't we just play the first one? And if you need to explain the rest from there, come and talk to us. Because you watch these eyes bobbling around going, hang on, uh, long day. It's been a long week. Can we just play? Do you, you don't mind if I just block cut one into the water, do you? The players were looking pretty pretty exhausted, weren't they? But, I mean, it is, again, it's a very different – they have very different reactions when – they're not. It's not. They're not looking at their caddy and going, "Oh well, that that's the team I've upset because caddies and team. Come on!" But they're actually looking over and and going, "Well, I don't want. I don't want to let him down because he's a really good golfer, and I'm relying on him." And I re- and they. You can see they actually are almost more upset at missing something for their on behalf of their opponent of their um partner. I love the fact that both Louis and Charles went out of their way to piss each other off on the playoff hole. <laughs> so Louis pisses Charles off with the drive. And then Charles pisses Louis off with his first putt. I thought it was fantastic. And, and you know, it's, we'll still be mates, but you did hit the drive into the water. So try and hold this one. <laughs> not, a, not just into the water either, Phil. <laughs> that was, right. yeah, it, that was so deep, you wouldn't have been able to stand up in it. it. It's a bad sign when he has to retake. I do like the alligator thing, though. I, w- I will just touch on that. I do like the alligator thing, a little bit of natural fear. Absolutely. Or, or not, as the case may be, depending on who you are, because some of them just had zero fear, which is not me. I must say, I did I did love, I mean, obviously, we're celebrating an Aussie victory there with, with Cam Smith and Mark Leishman paired up, good mates. Uh, were they playing? I All I heard about was hair 
Oh, oh, you're going there already. Well, I, speaking sorry, of water, I couldn't, I, yeah. Well, you, you've been in the water, so we may as well talk about the mullet. I, no, oh, where are we? Was that good? You, you are on fire in the tin shed this week. Um, <laughs> there's just a point, and I'll, I'll just got to get this off my chest. There is a point where if hair is the only thing you got to talk about, then we're in real trouble. Because I liked it. It was funny at first, then it became mildly amusing, and then it just became. Really sickeningly annoying. It certainly adds validity to my um, my theory that journalism is dead, Phil. <laughs> Absolutely dead, rotting away. I mean, just people writing articles about about Cam Smith's hair, and then they're writing articles about the articles off Cam Smith's hair. It's just, oh god, okay, so he's got a mullet. Yeah, let's let's be stereotypical Aussies, and you know, it's just I'm I'm so over it. It's so done. Yes. It's it, it's a mullet. Cool. Can we move on? The guy can play, and he did play very well. Let's focus uh, on that. I think that's the key point. So I'm not trying to be the sourpuss. He, they both flushed it. They both worked as a team through the roof, and 95 percent of the questions were about the hair. Mm-hmm. Now I know you got to have fun, and we'll get on to you know the the, the PGA Tour's incentive to be wacky and crazy. You know, as one of their defences over the PGL, mm-hmm. but. You know, this is how it started, is that, well, we've got to move up the leaderboard in the PGA Tour slush fund. Let's just focus on the hair. And the fact that it was just bought into by media, not just Australian media, but media everywhere. Come on. Okay, yeah, no, hey, funny. That's a really big haircut. Okay, and what? Yeah, and we're done. I agree. Let's not talk about it again. But we will speak about Cam Smith because he and Leishman, with this win, they're now the front runners, Philly, to represent Australia at the um, Olympics, at the Tokyo Olympics. Why would you not want to go to an Olympic Games? Now, I know there's COVID and there's a few other things, and but other than DJ and Adam Scott, mm-hmm. why would anyone not be desperate? Mm-hmm. Like whether the golf belongs there or not, why would anyone not be desperate? To play at an Olympics. I don't think we should give Scotty a, a free pass here, Phil. I mean, for me, I think it's a really odd decision for him. Now, he could he could well live to regret this because he's he's turning his back on, on an opportunity. That, and then we saw, you know, Matt Kuchar, we saw um, Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose, who, who won the gold at Rio. These guys are elder statesmen on tour, and they clearly showed how much it meant to them. Scotty might not get another go at this. 2024 at best is probably the last chance he'll have to represent Australia, in, po- quite possibly. So why would you turn your back on it? Because you, your schedule doesn't allow it. You make your own schedule. The schedule doesn't allow it because you didn't allow it within your schedule. Well, now this is a potentially controversial comment. Uh, Jason Day had no problem turning his back uh, on ever coming to Australia again, well, unless Golf Australia pay him millions of dollars and don't pay Adam Scott and Mark Leishman. So I guess it's not that hard to turn your back on stuff. But that, but that's why I find it really odd for a decision for Scotty because he's shown that he will always, you know, he almost always comes back to Australia and um, helps out our tournaments here. And I just don't understand why he'd turn his back on this. Obviously, he doesn't think it's that important, and I guess I mean that's his choice. But uh, it just it feels really strange to me. I agree with you, is that Adam Scott is about as loyal as you'd think he can get, but I think he's being shown up, and golf is, is in many ways being shown up to just be what it is. And, and again, it reinforces the fact that if the Olympics is not the pinnacle, in every other sport it is the pinnacle. Well, other than soccer because they've got the World Cup, but soccer's only the under-21. Mm-hmm. So 
in every other sport, it is the pinnacle and people falling over themselves. I mean, there's, there's this disaster of, of Australian athletes missing out on vaccines and as a result, won't be able to go to Tokyo having waited four years or five years of preparation in and otherwise. And when people are given the opportunity, I do wonder, very unwoke of me, but I do wonder that if DJ and Adam Scott were both single, whether they might be inclined to wander along. And while you're pondering that, well, DJ doesn't surprise me at all. He's always been very US-centric, very PGA Tour-focused, almost myopically. He doesn't like going to Europe to play in events unless he's paid a hell of a lot of money. That's just I think that's just kind of a part of him – He's, he's based in the US and he's not interested in anything outside of that. But again, Scotty's just a weird one for me. I really find it doesn't sit with, with the past, his past. I mean, he played in Europe for ages. Um, he's kind of a bit more of that worldly golfer you would have thought. But anyway, I'm, you know, I've probably said enough about him, but it's just, yeah, seems really odd. And I think it's a shame. But hey, what an opportunity for the, for the next couple of guys to step up. I agree. And, and certainly the way things are, are looking and just to move on to someone else who's sort of come back from the brink, because we spoke a little bit about Spieth, your mate Spieth-y, uh, and getting knocked Love down and getting Spieth. off the canvas. I must say, I know it's a couple of weeks ago now, but welcome back to Elite Golf Lydia Co. Yeah, fair enough. Because, her, I mean, it is unbelievable. When, when she is on, she's incomparable. Uh, yeah, big call. But for the first time in a long time, she actually looked like she was relaxed and enjoying herself. And, in fact, this is one thing that that the LPGA Tour, I think I can still call it the LPGA Tour. I know Australia's changed to the women's PGA Tour, but I think I still can uh, call it the LPGA Tour. So we've gone from fun times to now dour, almost dour times, yet the talent now, when you look at the quarters, you look at Lydia Ko, you look at Hannah Green, Say Young Kim, Jennifer Kupcho, you you look at these players who have every right to get their boogie on and are starting to get a bit more screen time and quite rightly and and well-deserved. It's a really golden time for the LPGA. I just hope they have – I hope they all start to enjoy it the way Lydia Ko appeared to be. Hmm. No, it is great to see her back. Was it convincing enough a win for you to see her come back sort of more full-time or was it a bit of a flash in the pan, do you think, Phil? No, no, I think you you get a taste. Having never won anything in – where are we? <laughs> Having never won anything in my life, you want to meet once Ruffle you get a taste you? of winning, you just want more of it. No, fair uh, Apparently. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, let's get on to one of the bigger topics, Philly, that we've been sort of chatting about, the the Soccer Super League. Not golf. Soccer Super League, but what does that mean for the the PGL? It'll be fascinating to see what they what they learn about it, what they learn about people power, because I think people have been they were overlooked in the Super League. Mm-hmm. Um, they were overlooked in the first iteration of a Super League when when rugby had its split in Australia in in what's it the early nineteen nineties. But what it says is that chasing cash is not always the best solution, and in fact, if you ever rely on people to do Anything for you as a as a person or as a business, you cannot ever be seen to be chasing cash. Yeah, I'm not sure it plays out. I think there's a few more elements at play with in soccer, though, Phil. I mean, you've I don't think with with the golf we're going to see you're not going to see protests in the street from fans. They're not they're not as tired or as, as vocal or as or I wouldn't say as passionate, not as overtly passionate about their sport. You're not going to have governments and heads of state stepping in to impose threats on teams. Um, I mean, I mean that itself goes to the very notion of how high the level of corruption is in in soccer or world football. You got the head of the head of UEFA, the the European League, threatening players would be barred from competing in World Cups. 
Now, if the USGA and RNA came out and said, oh, no majors for players moving to the um, the Rebel PGL, well, obviously that would just put an end to the whole the whole concept. But I don't think it's I don't think it's just about money at all. I mean, it reminds me of the Greg Norman's. What was the Greg Norman's concept? The World of oh, Golf? World was it Golf called? Tour. World Golf Tour, that's it. That was back in mid-90s. It made a lot of sense to me. And the PGA, is, you know, it's got some similarities to it. So I'm kind of intrigued. I'm, I'm not sold on it, but I'm quite intrigued. Um, and the fact that Rory's against it makes me kind of think there might be something <laughs> to it. <laughs> well, maybe the check's not big enough. But, yeah. but I think that your point about it being its motivation and being breakaway versus Addition to it all depends on the the pitch because you're right. People won't protest in the streets that Adam Scott's no longer on the PGA Tour because he's chosen to play PGL or or any of these players at that level. I think what it does though is is have to get the the organisers and the brains behind it to say, is there a better way? How do we get buy-in to then plead our case? Mm-hmm. that this is a great option because the PGA Tour, with their little incentive scheme, their social media incentive scheme or their net promoter score incentive or whatever the bloody hell it's called. I, I, heard, is, someone, I heard someone call it a bribe, Phil, <laughs> with a very similar well, voice to mine. <laughs> so, therefore, it's got more similarities with soccer. Anyway, I hope Seth Butt is doing well. But the the idea of the an incentive scheme for the top ten influencers grow the gamers mm-hmm. has resulted in stuff like this obsession with Cam Smith's hair. I wonder if they would have been doing as much, hey, check me out with my hair, check me out mm-hmm. with my hair, if all of a sudden there wasn't this carrot of, by the way, if you end up in the top there's, ten. There's four million coming your way or more. And we, yeah, yeah and, you know, we might be able to split this a little 50-50 if you, mm. if you get the job on. So, But it's a clear defensive move yeah, 100%. against the PGL. So therefore there must be something that it, it is feared by the PGA Tour, even though the PGL hasn't been spoken about for some time, and unless there's a lot of work going on in the background. But I think the biggest danger in the Super League falling over is the PGA Tour sitting back going, PGL will never get yeah, up now. it can't happen now. You're getting complacent. It can't happen. Super League's fallen over. And to the points that you raise and the points you make, I think it may well provide impetus for it to continue mm. because they're going to relax. You know, it would be like taking credit for the way the game, game has exploded on the back of COVID and taking credit for it at a marketing body or a governing body level. I think that it's when they sit back and relax and start patting themselves on the back that the opportunity presents. Mm-hmm. Well, And hearing Greg Norman talk about it and the comparisons with his concept, and he thinks the idea itself is is great and it's one that we should look at. So so I, I think, again, I think it has legs, but the PGA's, the, the tour incentive scheme that they've come out with, it seems like they're just basically trying to, offer players money to do their own marketing. I don't have any doubt. And then the question is, is any social activity better than no activity? I mean, is, hey, I had a burrito today, but wow, it was a good burrito. I mean, is this where it's actually going to get to whereby we, you know, are they trying to invite us into their lives? How is one going to separate Mm. themselves from another in that that top grouping? Or as uh, I think Cam Smith actually made the point, funnily enough, because I don't think he's tried to make too much of his hair. I think Cam Smith made the point that, hang on, no, no, my job is just to play as well as I can play. And if the rewards come, the rewards come. But there's been some others like I think Kevin Kisner suggested that, you know, the leading players in the world have done so much to grow the game that they should deserve it. Mm. Well, that's the sort of attitude of someone who's no chance of getting a share of it (laughs) versus the one who misses out, who comes in 11th spot. But we are going to get more vapid and vacuous commentary on the game, or not even on the game, about the participants playing the game at an elite level. I mean, the fact that Tiger's more likely, just because of the influence that he has, he's likely to get this without even stepping foot on tour. 
this year sort of shows that it's it's not about the golf. It's not about promoting golf itself. And again, it's their choice. They can do whatever they want. Um, they're they're a massive organization. But I think you are hundred percent correct that it isn't. It is a defensive move for sure. Which means they believe the PGL has still got legs. Irrelevant yeah. to Super League means the PGL has still got legs, and they think that that will get the job done, or they sit back and relax and say, we're okay now, Super League's fallen over. That means every other Super League will ever fall over. It'll be a really fascinating next couple of years, and particularly as the PJ Tour, look at life, and we've spoken about this before, look at life post-Tiger. And I've got a left field one to throw at you. Mm, I'm listening. If Tiger's behaviours and indiscretions and otherwise occurred today as opposed to when they happened, What's the net outcome? Do you think there's more uproar or less? You're talking about the time of wokeism, aren't you? I'm wondering whether, well, I may well be, and it does appear that's getting mentioned more and more amongst us, but I am wondering whether we would be as inclined to, because one of the challenges is when to push the, oh, he's a pig, he's a pig, and when to push the, Mm -hmm. well, you know what, he's actually suffering an illness and we can't really call him a pig. I wonder whether or not if it were to occur today, whether things might have been a lot more lenient Yeah, I, Tiger. I, I tend to agree with you. I actually tend to agree with you because I think it's – the problem with it is this manner of thinking is often – it depends on who is the person committing the indiscretion and it doesn't have a lot of substance behind it more often than not. It's not a stance that is applied. It depends on who – Who's committed this and therefore I'll make a decision as to whether this is, is right or wrong or is cancellable. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a really toxic way to, to approach the world when I think we're finding that out day by day. Because what, what was also interesting is, is when you look at what, and we're going back to the start of the, the PJ Tour season, uh, although it's a wraparound season, so I'm not exactly, maybe 27% through, when Justin Thomas made his mistake. And mm-hmm. the point was made, and I thought it was a fantastic point at the time, was Polo Ralph Lauren missed an enormous opportunity to help actually educate the world a little bit on mm-hmm. on togetherness and all these other things as opposed to saying, oh, no, people are going to go against yeah, us. Yeah, instead of we're, dropping. Um, we're out. Yeah. We're cutting you off. Just dropping it, dropping him cold rather than it's not about an education. It's about being better than the next person, which is a really – I think it's a really dangerous thing for us to be, uh, to be going down, Phil. Okay. Well, then I'll, I'll wheel back and I'm going to just look at some upside. And here's something – Pretty exciting. So my 14-year-old played his first ever round of golf last week. Not for want of, uh, not for want of you trying to get him out there, Phil. No, that's true. But this was purely off his own bat. He rocked up, you know, as kids that age and a little bit older in secondary school, they all de- to, do tend to be uh, equipped with the latest and greatest. And I had to let my lad know that you know you're rocking up with a – set of junior golf clubs and all your mates and everyone else there is going to have their big bags. Yeah, that's okay. I don't care. Don't care. And you know your clubs are – you've only got four clubs in your bag and they're all going to have full sets. So Kieran's comment when he got back, and this is – I thought I loved this. So first ever nine holes. Mm-hmm. And by the way, at Woodlands Golf Club. Oh, so probably what, a, the hardest what an initiation though. <laughs> that is a baptism of fire. The hardest golf course I think I've ever played, using junior clubs having never played on a course before. His first comment, can we go out and play this weekend? That's magnificent. The maximum score allowed was a double par. His best score was, was a seven. Was that to protect your score, Phil? Thank you. His best score was a seven, and it actually didn't matter. But there are a couple of questions or comments that came from a new golfer and a genuinely new golfer as a result of it. And one is, 
why do some people have 27 clubs in their bag? So this perception that that you just buy the biggest bag you can and you fill it full of golf clubs because in the hope that one of them does something versus the other, which I loved because it, it lent itself. We grew up with half sets. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Judy, you, yeah. me a lot. We grew up. By the way, here's you've got three irons in your bag now and for your next birthday, we're going to get you a fourth. You'll get one. So now yeah. you, you have all the odds or you have all the evens or, or otherwise is the way we discovered the game as opposed to filling your bag with, quote, unquote, 27 different golf clubs. So I love that. Love the fact that that, that realisation. The second realisation that I loved was when he said, what do these clubs – he only had four clubs in his bag. What do these do? And I said, well, why don't you look at them and tell me what you think they do? I said, you, you know, you're very good at your geometry. And he said, well, I, well that's got more loft. So what's that going to do? That's going to pop the ball higher up in the air and go further or shorter. Oh, probably shorter. Okay, well, there you go. You've worked it out. Off to go. So away he went. And came back with this last question. What does golf need to be played in fours? No more than fours. It's a time thing, isn't it, Phil? Like the short answer is, like, um, we've spoken about this before. We'd love to get out and hit, you know, have a hit with six six mates. and But they have to stop it somewhere, don't they? I'm, I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. But is that is that is it that simple? Just it's a time thing? It's the quickest way to get people through? Or is it? I, I actually don't know the answer. Now, I couldn't be bothered looking up to see if there is an answer. <laughs> But I don't know the answer because I know that I've enjoyed – I've played in a nine. Once we played 18 hole in a nine once, which was awesome. Now, we were all in golf carts. But is it not about the time played more than the number of players? So if you've got a group of two that are going to take five hours and a group of mm. seven they are going to take three – Yeah, it's negligible. Yeah, doesn't make what, much sense. What does it matter? So, so I'm really – I'm intrigued. That, but it was a really – it was an innocent question of – why, why can't I go out with four mates mm-hmm. and play golf? Well, you can, but you've got to play in a three. And a you've two never had that problem, Philly. Now, the second Sorry, just before you point. do, just before we move on, Phil, I just want to talk, just back on what you were talking about, you're the young fella. What was it for him, do you think, because we talked a lot about the stickiness of golf and how to get golf to yep. stick with new newcomers to the game. Where's the adhesive for him? What was it that made him want to come back? One of the key motivators and key drivers for the game that – somehow continues to get not overlooked but not made a feature of mates and the idea of wanting to be part of a peer group. So th- there is no question there is a movement at the moment for, for towards golf and we love that. But I, I get to go and hang out with my mates for four hours. Like we just go, just go and whack a ball and talk crap and do all the other things. But it's not a performance thing that got him hooked. He didn't want to say – actually – well, that's not true. He knew that he can drive the ball pretty well, but he mm-hmm. can't chip and putt to save himself, and it didn't matter. So, therefore, the performance side was, oh, you know, hit a couple of good drives. Yeah. But it, but it was this joy of I'm outside, I'm wandering around in a set of junior clubs surrounded by his, all these fully equipped people, but I'm going to walk around for a couple of hours with a mate of mine. Well, well, think back to when we started as well, Phil. That's not so far different from why we kept at it. I remembered it being this is a day I'm going out with my mates playing golf and we're gonna we're gonna, you know, shoot the breeze and just speak rubbish. Like it wasn't about performance. And the performance comes later and a point was made today from our esteemed uh, camera assistant sound recordist, Zach, where why would you ever and he said we're out filming today and he said, Why would you ever play golf on your own? I don't understand it being a solo pursuit. I get it's a solo game. He said, I, I just don't understand why you'd ever go and 
play golf on your own and wander around for three and a half hours because there are a few singles on the golf course and and it led to another conversation mm. around. You know, There's plenty of reasons for that as well. Uh, of course, I mean, I've done it my whole life, but, mm. you know, that's more, again, because I'm a crap bloke. But the idea of of the stickiness, so what makes what will make it sticky for the kids is that mates, so if he doesn't have mates who play golf, he will play golf at a driving range and he'll play golf in a park. Yeah. And that's it. If he has mates that play golf, then it's got a chance of, of sticking. And, in fact, he made the comment, just I can't wait till I'm 18 or 19, and you can go out with your mates and you can have a couple of sherbets while you're playing golf. <laughs> but, this, but, again, so it was all around friendship and all around spending quality time with your mates. And we talk about, you know, mental health and, you know, starting conversations and all these other things. The, the beautiful game of, of golf, and I know we can't bang on about it, Forever, but it is a golf podcast. So that is what is going to make it stick. Now, if his mates drop off, then the desire to play the game drops off. Mm-hmm. But, you know, th- this this come together as a group and play, I, I think might be the biggest untapped uh, opportunity. And I think if I were a golf course, for example, down the beach or down the coast, you know, maybe one driven by a bit more seasonal or potentially a newer golf course, maybe in the Sandringham area from all those living in Melbourne in Australia, I'd be saying – why do we have to play as fours? Because mm. if I get five 15-year-olds or 14-year-olds or 13-year-olds rock up and all want to play golf together, why wouldn't I encourage the togetherness as long as they hit the time stamp? No, it's a fair point. It's a hard one to argue. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity to just, again, relax the rules. Like, we don't want to relax all the rules. And, in fact, there was another observation from young Zach today when we were doing a product review. He said, if these become really easy to hit and if golf clubs become really easy to hit, Therefore, golf becomes easier for everybody, and therefore everybody gets better at it. There's not as much incentive to get really, really good at it, which was just how's that for an out there concept that we should make the game harder so we can separate the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> I'm drawing a long bow. He didn't actually say any of that. Sorry, I did stop you, Phil, before you were about to explode with a wonderful point. <laughs> I think I managed to stop myself because there was no wonderful point coming. The other point, the heart and soul of golf, and, and no doubt around the world, but, but in Australia, and I'm intrigued as to what level of support regional golf gets compared to metropolitan golf, given that mm. we golf seems to be spending disproportionately on, on different markets within it. I wonder whether there's golf is also a disproportionate investment into regional golf than metro. And I'll tell you what made this come up. Is our mate Nashi at Forbes. Good on you, Nashi. So Nashi dropped us a line saying, look, enjoying the show, unless I'm misquoting you, Nashi, in which case, apologies. Loving the show, think it's the greatest thing ever. That that was a <laughs> wonderful paraphrase, Phil. But he did say that there's a great golf course up in Forbes, which is where he is in New South Wales, regional New South Wales in mm. Australia. Unfortunately, I can't play golf for the next month because I'm out sowing crops. <laughs> so he has to give up the game that he loves because life is in the way. But it's this heart and soul. But he then followed up with, but I realised that you've got 50-odd podcasts to listen to <laughs> and that'll get me through my time while I'm sowing the canola. Tr- truth be told, there's probably only 15 you should listen to, Phil. Yeah, no, I did I did have to correct him. I said, look, I'll, I'll recommend a few other different ones to you, but but ours, yeah, one in three, I reckon we nailed. But we talk about, so so regional golf, you know, where there's not massive epicenters of people, but golf is, is so mm. important. It's such a critical hub for conversation and to get together. And I remember talking to a young gent by the name of Stephen Bishop who was doing a lot of work up at Narrabri and Wee War and, and Glen Innes at the time in sort of outback New South Wales as well, talking about how golf becomes a meeting hub. 
you know, they'll, mm. they'll go there and they'll play golf and they'll talk about the crops. They'll talk about what's working, what's not working, and particularly cotton up that way. How the harvest going? You know what, what's going on? Like, so so regional golf it is the heart and soul. So my question is 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 regional golf the heart and soul of golf in Australia or in fact in any other country? You've left me speechless, Phil. It's a fantastic point. I mean, it's it's clearly still a conduit for conversation, which is no different to any other golf course anywhere else. Is it the heart and soul? Well, in Australia, it it means a hell of a lot to the rural areas, doesn't it? The, you know, you and not just the heart and soul for people per se. But the courses themselves have a whole lot of soul. We're talking about, um, what do you call them, uh, s- uh, scrapes? Is that what they're called? Oh, sand scrapes. Sand scrapes and, and, and honesty boxes and, and all these sorts of things that is just salt of the earth, salt of the earth people and clubs just that reflect it. It's hard to argue against it. Condition, I mean, you'd be a bit upset, uh, getting a little bit upset earlier about condition of courses because some of them, are, you know, they haven't got quite got the – the funding to uh, get them up to Phil's standard, but the course itself and, and what it represents, absolutely, Phil, full of soul. So here's a shout-out to Nashi, and all the very best for you, Nashi, sowing your crops, and I hope the canola bursts into life because canola, you know, the, the oh, green love and gold. love canola oil. The, the green and gold that floods their landscapes in the Australia. Unbelievably beautiful to look at, isn't it, Phil? It's dramatic. It's absolutely incredible. So, Nashi, all the best sowing your crops, and I hope that uh, you reap what you sow and get back on the golf course and look forward to seeing you back out there. Good on you. Well done, Nashi. Now, the last one I've got for you, Shooter. I'm listening. All abilities. Oh, we love these guys. I'm, I'm listening, Phil. Out of this world. Unbelievable. So, the All Abilities Championship was held at, at an awesome Greg Norman Design golf course in Melbourne, Sanctuary Lakes. Oh, sorry. Isn't Sanctuary Lakes in magnificent condition, speaking of condition? It is actually a, a must-play. It's west of Melbourne, It's but it is a must-play. It is a great track. One of Norman's really, really good designs, mm-hmm. but their greens are to be envied, and they know they just know, and they've got a fantastic superintendent and great ground staff at the moment. They know how to bring it up, and bring it up they did for the All Abilities Championship, and, and looking at Everything from and you know Sean Backer is a friend of the a friend of the show who's the head of golf out there, but Ben Tullipan who's an inspiration, mm-hmm. Mike Rolls, all, all these guys who are out there because golf creates this opportunity to play and to succeed and to enjoy and to just be together and be around mm-hmm. it more so than almost any other sport I could think of really. And and these guys are they are incredible. It's hard not to be effusive in your admiration for them. At the same time, we don't want to come across as being in, at all patronising because we, we went out and actually attempted, as you'll see in this season of Golf Barons, we, we tried to emulate what these guys go through out in the course and, and, and what life's actually like. And they're incredible. It's, it's, there's no other, no other word to describe just how amazing it is, the manner, manner with which how well they hit golf balls. I mean, and we had Shawnee hitting golf balls there, Phil, and we were all just in awe. At, at, he was better flusher than anyone there. Quite clearly. And then the other one, you know, not so not only did we test out one element, we, we tested out losing a sense. And this mm. is the fascinating thing that we don't even know how it's going to turn out yet, but the joy of removing Kipper's sight without him knowing and then playing an entire hole, it, it, it gives new credit. Now, there's a legend in Australian golf, David Blythe, and, and David mm-hmm. started Blind Golf Australia. And when you have a, a sense and lose it or whether you've – always or, or never had one, the, this idea of and the disconcerting nature of what happens, Kipper's still shattered. Yeah, yeah. And I can't wait to speak to him <laughs> about- He's genuinely been losing sleep, Phil. 
you- he has been losing sleep because he had his sight taken away and he had to play the second hole at the Gunnamatta course at the National blindfolded, but because he didn't know anything was about to happen, I, I actually can't wait to see this video to see mm-hmm. what happened. I know what happened when he attempted to hit them, and I'm not going to ruin any of it, but it, it just shows that the composure, the ability to actually stay focused, but to celebrate everything great about the game. So to everyone who played and competed in the All Abilities Championship. Respect. Oh, just enormous, enormous respect on a number of different levels. And Philly, I think that that's probably a perfect note to end this Tenuous Links golf podcast. But be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com to stay in the loop for all that's happening in the Golf Barons stable. And remember to series link Golf Barons Season 2 now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO. Thanks for joining us again. And remember to always add some swagger to your swing.